Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 91 of the Morning Round Trip podcast here on October 8th, 2020. My name is Drew Frank, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And last night was a wild night of baseball, but first, a couple notes to get out of the way. ESPN and ABC have reported their TV numbers we see a pretty interesting range. Altogether, the games averaged 1.8 million viewers, but there was a pretty wide spread between the top and the bottom. The top game sat at 2.6 million average viewers, while the bottom game sat at just 700,000 viewers. That's in comparison to the old system, where the single wildcard games that had all the spotlights sat somewhere between 5.6 million and 7.6 million from 2014 to 2017. Pretty big drop-off, and when the league is looking at numbers, I mean, you get more viewers when you have more games, just because you can add up more numbers altogether, but clearly there is a give and take with it. So when you're looking at next season, that could be a factor. Also, we continue to see more home runs, and we'll get to it when we get to our games. You'll see what we're talking about. But including last night's games, there have now been 82 home runs in 28 games. That's an average of 2.93 homers per game. Compare that to the regular season of 2.57 homers per game when it already felt like there were a lot, in my opinion, in the regular season. You can see a clear uptick, and it seems like the long ball is not going anywhere at all. And when that average mark nearly rounds out to three home runs per postseason game, it's not surprising to find out the teams are 19-1 and when they out-homer their opponents in the postseason. And we see that in the first game from yesterday as the Atlanta Braves took on the Miami Marlins. Atlanta comes away with a 2-0 win, and that was off of the back of two solo home runs. And just two solo home runs. Neither team had anything else really going. I think you've got to give credit to Pablo Lopez here. He goes five innings with just three hits and the two solo home runs for both runs against him. No walks, seven strikeouts. If Ian Anderson had have given up an eight spot, we would have been talking about this game as a gem from him. A great performance from Lopez. Instead, he's on the receiving end of a loss as both Darno and Swanson took him deep. Instead of that 8 spot, Anderson, he pitched 5 and 2 thirds shutout innings, only allowing 3 hits and 1 walk over that span while he struck out 8. No home runs was the difference maker, and Atlanta, with this 2 nothing win, become the first team to throw 3 shutouts in their first 4 postseason games in a postseason run. Hasn't happened before, but this pitching staff is very dialed in. And today they have the opportunity to sweep Miami, but they're going to have to do it on the road. And if they do end up beating the Miami Marlins, they'll advance to their first National League Championship Series since 2001. That is a long, long time ago. And Miami, they, they did show some life in this game in the sixth inning where Anderson was eventually pulled. They did load the bases. And they had a chance with two outs. They actually had the go-ahead run on first base, but they couldn't get anything done. O'Day gets the ground ball. They get out of it. And, yeah, Atlanta themselves, they only had two hits that weren't home runs. There wasn't much traffic on the bases. 
good pitching in this one all around and a pretty different game than what we saw next as our second afternoon game between Oakland and Houston was a slugfest 9-7 to final. The All-Star game at Dodger Stadium might have been canceled but we certainly had a home run derby last night. Seven home runs between the two teams. Six of them came off starting pitching. Urquidy just couldn't keep it in the park. He gives up four home runs in just four and a third. Lazardo basically matched him. He only gives up two home runs, but four earned runs over that same span. And if you're Oakland, they end up winning this game. But I think based on how they're built, and we know the strength of their bullpen, if you offer Bob Melvin a tie game when the two starting pitchers leave, he'll take that every time. Yeah, and for sure. And we saw some interesting offensive production, though. We mentioned off the top that the home run has been the difference maker. In this one, every single A's starting infielder was able to leave the yard. Chad Pender, Marcus Simeon, Tommy LaStella, and Matt Olson all were able to put the ball over the fence. And Chad Pender's was not a cheapie by any means. A big three-run home run that ended up tying the game later in the innings. But unfortunate news for the Oakland A's in this one as Tommy LaStella left the game with a bone contusion after being hit by a pitch. But fortunately, the results came back negative and he is day-to-day. But as some would say, day-to-day, aren't we all? It'll be interesting to see how the Oakland Athletics decide to attack their infield formation for the coming games. But now with your back up against the wall, you've got some momentum as you try to hold off elimination for one more day. And the reason they were able to survive this one is in a 7-7 game, they go to Liam Hendricks in the seventh inning. He throws 37 pitches to pitch the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth in three scoreless innings of relief, strikes out four, only allows a single hit. And in those three innings of work, Oakland's bats were able to give him the lead. He held it, picks up the win in this one, and a very impressive performance from him. And a fun note if you watch the game, maybe if they panned over to the bullpen cam and you kept your eyes open, you'd see the cardboard cutout of a cat sitting in the left-hand part of the screen. That's Liam Hendricks' cat, Winnie. He shouted her out on Instagram, thanks to MLB Cut For. I personally believe that it's only weird if it doesn't work, and obviously Winnie, the clear difference maker for Liam Hendricks in this one. So that series moves to 2-1, and so does the Rays and Yankees series as Tampa pulls ahead in this one and takes Game 3 by the score of 8-4. to four. If I'm a Yankees fan, I'm not sure how I feel about this starting pitching. We saw yesterday a total mishap with Davey Garcia going just one inning and Hap coming in, kind of stinking things up a little bit. Masiard Tanaka last night, four innings pitched, eight hits, five runs, all of them earned. I almost look at that, and he was missing spots, he was hanging sliders, he only had four strikeouts. I almost look at that, and I think maybe the reason we saw Happ and Garcia yesterday was because Aaron Boone might know that Tanaka might not be 100%. I don't know if he's fully healthy, but it certainly didn't look like it. And I don't know if the rest of this Yankees ball club is healthy apart from Giancarlo Stanton because he's really been the key driving force of the offense and he hasn't gotten much help apart from maybe a few spots here and there from his teammates. Not enough, though, to push them over the Tampa Bay Rays in this one. Charlie Morton opposing Masahiro Tanaka. He wasn't fantastic, but, I mean, hey, he did enough to get them into the ball game. Five innings pitched, four hits against 
two runs against, but only one of those earned walk two and struck out six. As things got a little bit dicey as he loaded the bases with one out and surrendered two runs in the middle of the order at one point in the game. But, you know, I think you'll take that every time from Charlie Morton because you know if you're Kevin Cash that you've got a bullpen that's more than capable of picking up your starters. And an offense that was able to pick him up last night. Kiermaier launches a three-run shot. We'd actually talked about him yesterday as in our predictions. Knew he had a good history against Tanaka. He takes him deep for three runs, finishes two for four on the night. Randy Arozarena, he continued. You mentioned Stanton's been doing it for the Yankees. Well, Randy Arozarena just almost out of nowhere. I think no matter who comes out on top in this series, the real loser has to be the Cardinals here. You watch Luke Voigt do what he did all season long. A Rosarina looks really good, and the Cardinals already bounced from the playoffs themselves. Pretty tough, but from the Rays' side of things, I mean, you get another three-hit performance out of him, and just very, very impressive. The depth of the bullpen, the depth of the lineup. Hey, even the backup catcher, Michael Perez, had two RBIs. He drove in the first run, he hit a long ball later on. Just a very thorough performance from the Rays last night. They win this one, and I I think that's really a bread-and-butter game for Tampa. And one last game we have to talk about. The the closest game, the most exciting game, the one that came right down to the end. The Dodgers beat the Padres 6-5 behind a quality start from Clayton Kershaw. But this game really got exciting late. Again, talking similar to what we said uh, with the Oakland A's, if you tell the Padres that by the time both starters are out of the game, they are right in it and it's a one-run game, they're going to take that. I mean... Kershaw gives up three earned runs. Davies gives up four earned runs. He ended up getting the start. He was announced after we wrapped up our pod yesterday. Things got exciting in the sixth. Just before Kershaw was pulled, he gives up solo home runs to Machado and Hosmer to make it a one-run game. Then in the seventh, Tatis almost launches a go-ahead home run to center field off a 100-mile-an-hour pitch from Brewstar Gratterall. He hit it 413 feet to center field, deepest part of the ballpark, had an 86% chance hit probability, and Bellinger jumps, reaches over the wall, and robs it. Gratterall, excited, throws his hat, throws his glove at the dugout, something you just never see. Machado took exception to that. He's yelling at Gratterall. Gratterall's blowing him kisses. Muncy's swearing at the Padres' dugout, just all out of nowhere seemingly I don't know what you think about this but I think it's kind of weird for Machado who threw his bat after a home run and not just flipped it but he just chucked the thing after hitting a home run an inning before for him to be yelling and taking exception to Gratterall celebrating seems a little weird to me yeah and Mookie Betts uh, went on record last night and he said that you know Machado's allowed to throw his bat so we're allowed to celebrate a little bit as well if you're Manny Machado, you've kind of gained a reputation over the years as being obviously a guy with a flamboyant personality. You know, he wears his heart on his sleeve and more power to him. I like when players take the game seriously and I like when they have fun with it. But if you can't deal with it, don't dish it out. Uh, I think Manny Machado maybe being a little bit sensitive here, being a big crybaby and, you know, getting upset that Gratler all wanted to celebrate something that he had done after Machado had done something big in the game as well. But you mentioned Cody Bellinger's catch. I mean, he sent one over the center field wall earlier in the game as well on a 
pitch that was low. He dropped down to a knee, and especially for a left-handed batter, if you're hitting a home run, it'll find its way over the right field fence, but it was no cheapy right over the center field wall. One thing I've noticed from this series, and I'm not sure if you've picked up on it as well, the ball doesn't necessarily travel as far in this ballpark as I think maybe people anticipated. I mean, I've heard that uh, before it was built, they weren't sure how it was going to play. Maybe it plays a little bit bigger when the dome is open, when the dome is closed. Uh, But for me, I found that even the balls that are really hard hit, especially the one that Machado took deep to center field, it just didn't carry as much as I think it would in uh, another park necessarily. I mean, we look at Los Angeles and their home park, which is being occupied right now. The ball's flying out of there, but the ball just isn't finding its way over the wall as much in Texas. And in the ninth inning, the Padres, they weren't sending the ball over the wall. They were sending it into the gaps against Kenley Jansen. He comes in to try and close this thing out. They rally for two runs off of him in the ninth to close the lead from 6-3 to to 6-5. to He ends up getting removed from the game. They bring in Joe Kelly to come and close it. He does get it done, but it's with the bases loaded. Down by one, tying run on thirds, go-ahead run on seconds. He manages to get a ground ball to end it, but a very close finish. A guy like Joe Kelly in in that situation, you know he's a very volatile pitcher, but it ends up working out for the Dodgers. The big takeaway, I think, is that we don't know what Jansen's role is going to be. I mean, we saw them go to Gratterall in a safe situation in the last series. Jansen, his cutter touched as low as 86.8 on the gun last night when it averaged 91 in the regular season. What do you think about this? Because it's it's a tough situation for Dave Roberts to be put in, I think. Yep, especially because, you know, Kenley Jansen's been a guy that has so much experience, not only in the regular season, but in the postseason as well. He's a guy that you've really been able to turn to reliably for the better part of a half decade if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers. But now when you really need him the most is, you know, baseball can be very, what have you done for me lately? And lately, Kenley Jansen's stuff just hasn't been there. Uh, I think he's got some options, though, as we saw Joe Kelly and Bruce Star Gratterall uh, were able to clean things up and keep the Dodgers in the ball game, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if Kenley Jansen ends up being a setup guy. I don't know if he keeps his role as the closer and Dave Roberts shows a little bit more faith in him. I don't know if he's even going to pitch, uh, you know, in those high leverage situations. So it'll be interesting to see how Dave Roberts decides to manage his bullpen. That's for sure. Well, at the end of the day, they get the win. They take the two nothing series lead, and they do have a chance to sweep the series today. It's going to be Adrian Morahan for the Padres. We do not know the starter for the Dodgers yet. I think you've got to assume it's Gonsolin, unless I'm missing something. They could go Arias if they want to, but I I would imagine it's going to be Gonsolin. For the Padres, we know for certain it's going to be Morahan. Paddock will be for Game 4 if they make it that far. But talk about Morahan, we didn't see him throw more than 41 pitches all season long. In the postseason, he's thrown 23 and 25 pitches in his two appearances. I don't know if we see him go more than two or three innings in this one, but the bullpen, I I think I like to keep them in it. If it's Gonsal on the other side, he can throw you five, six innings in a real gem if he's on. I think I've got to go Dodgers here, but I'd like to see the Padres try and stay alive. 
Mike Clevenger for the Padres was shut down. He won't be participating in the division series or the championship series if the Padres make it that far. He was replaced with Dan Altavilla on the playoff roster. To me, this is another bullpen day for the San Diego Padres. Uh, I'd like to see Morahan, like you said, go a little bit deeper than we've seen so far in the postseason, but it's clear that Jace Tingler is ready to go to the bullpen maybe as soon as the second or third inning, depending on what you get from Morahan. I go Dodgers in this one as well. I think they sweep the series. I think they advance to the championship series like everyone expects them to, uh, but we'll see who they end up facing. And a similar story for the Rays as they look to punch their ticket to the CS today. They've got a 2-1 lead, and they've got Ryan Thompson on the mound. Same story as the Padres. He hasn't thrown more than 40 pitches in the regular season. He's pitched twice in the postseason and thrown 21 in 16 pitches. Basically, the exact same scenario. Basically, another bullpen day. He goes up against Jordan Montgomery, who got rocked by the Rays in his last timeout. I don't like this pitching matchup. We've already seen a pitching nightmare from the Yankees. I've got to go raise again, and I think they make it through as well. Yeah, I think this time we're going to try to pick the same team here as Tampa Bay takes on New York because it hasn't really worked out for me in the last two picks. Uh, I think that Tampa Bay probably takes this one as well and they advance to the championship series. And that's purely because the offense for the New York Yankees has not looked strong. I mean, you get a couple runs of production, but that's mainly because you have Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup. And, you know, God forbid if you're the Yankees and he doesn't produce, who else do you turn to? Everyone's firing if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, though. And I think that's what powers them over the Yankees. And Houston, again, couldn't get their sweep done yesterday. They'll look to advance today. Oakland's trying to stay alive. I think they do. I think we see a game five. It's Frankie Montes going for Oakland. Houston, we don't know. Dusty Baker said his options are limited. Granke threw off flat ground after Tuesday's game, but that hasn't been cleared yet. It could be Christian Javier, who we've seen in relief already this series. It could be Luis Garcia, who wasn't even on the wildcard roster, has no playoff experience. I don't like either of those matchups. Oakland's been hitting, and I think they take this one as well. I think Oakland has been firing with their offense, but at the same time, I think Houston has been firing with their offense as well. And apart from a bullpen implosion, I feel like they would have taken the game yesterday. I think I go Houston again in this one. I mean, if you're going to let Oakland get back into the series with a loss today, then, I mean, who knows? The reverse sweep in five games doesn't mean the same as it does in a seven-game series. But if you're Dusty Baker and the Houston Astros, you try to avoid that possibility. I think they take the Oakland Athletics out in this game. And finally, Atlanta takes on Miami this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Sixto Sanchez gets the ball for Miami, and I think that's all I've got to see. Goes up against Kyle Wright. I like that pitching matchup. Sanchez, a sharper pitcher, a cleaner pitcher. Then they've got their backs against the wall. I don't think Atlanta gets it done yet. I think Miami has some life left, and I've got them winning this one. I'm going to go with the Braves over the Marlins. Yes, I do think that Sixto Sanchez is a stronger pitcher than Kyle Wright, but I think Atlanta is going to take this one and sweep the series over the Marlins. Yes, Sanchez is a stronger pitcher, but Kyle Wright, who's making his postseason debut, I thought he closed out the regular season very, very strong. And I think that this Miami offense has really struggled. If Wright is able to limit their run production to three or even four runs, I don't think he has to be great, but I have more faith in the Atlanta lineup to get to not only Sixto Sanchez, but to get to the bullpen as well. And I think that might be the difference maker in this one. 
Well, there we go. We, we've got four teams that can clinch tonight. We each think three teams are going to make it through. We don't have the same teams, but we'll see how that goes tonight. We'll tell you all about it tomorrow when we're back with episode number 92. Until then, you can follow the show on Twitter at Trip Morning. You can find us on Instagram at Morning Round Trip. And we thank you for listening. And for Drew Frank and Liam Carruthers, hope you have a great day.